Because John stayed near to Jesus, Jesus was able to commission him with this unique and important task of caring for his mother. And I believe that's just something that we should keep in mind ourselves. Our nearness to Christ makes us available to Christ to be used by him. Staying near to Jesus gives us unique opportunities to serve the Lamb of God. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Well, let's go ahead and get into John's Gospel, chapter 19. Today we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 42. We looked at verses 1 through 22 in a message that I titled, Behold the Man, last week. And one of the things that I pointed out from the first 22 verses that I just pointed out the number of prophecies that had been fulfilled with Jesus making his way to the cross, being on the cross. And that's kind of where we left him last week, bringing us down to verse 22, that Jesus had been hung on the cross, that they placed this Uh, accusation over his head, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The religious rulers complained about the accusation and Pilate closing out saying, what I have written, I have written. And we're going to pick up from that in verse 22 today. We find in our text that there's going to be more passages about Jesus fulfilling Old Testament scriptures. I'll point them out to you. I may not cover every one of them, but I'm going to cover a number of them. But John's gospel, he gives us a few unique looks at the cross. He actually gives us three of the seven cries that Jesus made from the cross. He tells us about uh, three of the last seven statements, also of the prophecy concerning Jesus's bones not being broken there upon the cross about his side being pierced. And also about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus taking Jesus's body and burying it that very same day. All these things very significant and in fulfillment of scripture. Today we're going to look at a passage called Behold the Lamb, John 19 verses 23 through 42. And I broke it into five sections. I broke it into its natural sections. The Lamb and the Soldiers, verses 23 and 24. The Lamb and His Mother, verses 25 through 27. The Lamb and His Thirst, verses 28 through 29. The Lamb and His Death, verses 30 through 37. The Lamb and His Tomb, 
verses 38 through 42. I want to go ahead and read us through the first point, the lamb and his soldiers, and open us in prayer. Verse 23 tells us, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. That scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. And Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive from your word a very familiar portion of scripture to us, speaking about the crucifixion of Jesus. But I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just reinforce these truths in our hearts today, or even speak new truths to us, things that perhaps we haven't realized before. But Lord, all in all, I just pray that you would draw us closer to your cross this day and the significance of that cross. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The lamb and the soldiers, they're around the cross. After they had stripped Jesus's clothing away and they had laid him upon the cross and had driven the nails into his hands and feet and then set him there upon the ground, that would have caused excruciating pain as Jesus hung there upon the cross. And after they had placed the accusation and nailed it over his head, and while there were two thieves who were hung on either side in fulfillment of Scripture, as Isaiah 53, 12 tells us, that he was numbered with the transgressors. It was Jesus who is holy and harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners, as he hung there and suffered and died as a criminal among thieves. Once crucified, the soldiers took his garments. It gives us an idea of the number of soldiers that were dispatched to crucify Jesus and these other two thieves, four of them. They took his garments. They divided the garments among themselves. It was customary for the Roman soldiers to divide the clothing of the condemned. But John describes the uniqueness of Jesus's tunic being woven from top to bottom without any seams. At one time, many years ago, when I was part of a youth group as a teacher, that is, over at a church in Libertyville and the youth pastor, one of the kids uh, in the youth group, I don't know how we got on the subject, but I think we were talking about our dress when we came to church and looking our best for the Lord. And one of the youth was saying, you know, that's not necessary. Just maybe he was trying to say, come as you are. But both the youth pastor and myself, I was teaching the Sunday school class. We pointed to this passage of the uniqueness of Jesus's garment here. It was so unique that the soldiers said, no, we don't need to cut this one up. Let's gamble for it. Let's uh, cast lots for it that, you know, one of us could get this unique piece of clothing. Little did they know that they did these things in fulfillment of prophecy. The prophecy, Psalm twenty-two, eighteen: they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And it's interesting that even the enemies of Christ were used by God in fulfillment of the work of Christ. And that's true to this day. We find 
as Wednesday, we'll do a, just a brief prophecy update, uh, looking at some of the things that's going on in our world today. And there are a number of nations in our world today. They're enemies of God, enemies of Christ. And yet they're actually working toward the fulfillment of the second coming of Christ. So God often uses those who believe and those who do not believe to fulfill his purposes. And the enemies of Christ unknowingly fulfilled the prophecies or this prophecy specifically concerning the Lamb of God. We next notice the Lamb and his mother, verses 25 through 27. In verse 25, John tells us of four women who were there at the cross. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And the other Gospels tells us that there were many acquaintances of women and men who followed Jesus from Galilee. They were watching there at the crucifixion. And Luke tells us that these women that were there had provided for Jesus from their substance. Uh, some of these women had been healed. Uh, Luke 8, 2 and 3 tells us they were healed of evil spirits and infirmities. One of these was Mary Magdalene. The four women that John names in order, he names Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we should never take away from the uniqueness of Mary. She was a one of a kind in the sense that she was the only woman who was ever allowed to give birth to the Son of God. And God used her in a very unique way. I think some part or segments of the church elevate Mary too high into a position of uh, co-redemptress uh, in a sense that she is on the level of Jesus as Savior. And I think the other parts of the church diminish her too low and try to kind of counter uh, one part of the church, lifting her too high. They try to counter it by uh, placing her too low. But she was a unique servant of God. She was a girl who had remained pure to be used by God, this virgin that gave birth to the Son of God. So she is a one of a kind, the one who gave birth to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And as she watched her son die upon the cross, it pierced her heart. And I can tell you this because, well, it was prophesied concerning her. When she came to the temple to offer sacrifices for herself after giving birth to the first male child, Jesus, there was a man there, an old man, that his name was Simeon. And he was told by the Lord that he would see the Lord's redemption before his death. And so he was there at the temple every day waiting to see God's uh, coming Messiah. And when Jesus came and he saw the baby there, there was a point when he spoke prophetically over Mary. He said in Luke 2.35, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of the hearts of many may be revealed. Her heart was pierced as she saw her son hanging there upon the cross. Now, the accusation and the thought behind Jesus all along was that he was born illegitimately by some other man than Joseph. Just think about it. Mary could have cried out that he's not the son of God, that Joseph or another man was his father. But she remained silent, knowing that Jesus truly was his 
the king of the Jews, the son of God. But also there was the sister of Mary. This is Salome and the mother of James and John. It tells us then that James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, they, they were his cousins as well. Mark identifies her as Salome, while Matthew refers to her as the mother of the sons of Zebedee. In Matthew 20, 20 and 21, it tells us that the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and one on the left in your kingdom. And Jesus would go on to say, Holman, you don't know what you're asking. Now think of Salome as she's there at the cross and she sees Jesus, but those two men hanging, one on the left and one on the right. No doubt, I think that the thought would be running through her mind at that moment that these two could have been my sons. This is what she had asked of Jesus. Let one be on the right, let one be on the left when you enter your kingdom. Little did she know that the entrance to the kingdom of the Messiah was through the cross, and that those who hung on the left and the right were those two thieves. Mary, the wife of Clopas. This is Clopas, who's found in Luke 24, 18. He's one of the two men on the road to Emmaus who saw the resurrected Christ and did not recognize them. And some believe that this is actually the mother of James, a disciple that's called James the Less in Scripture. And finally, Mary Magdalene. Jesus at one time had said to a Pharisee named Simon, he was having dinner at Simon's house. Luke 7, 40 through 43 tells us of this dinner. And during that time, uh, a woman who, well, she wasn't known very well, as a good woman in their town, she came weeping at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said to Simon, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing to which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said, you rightly judge. Luke tells us that Mary Magdalene was a woman from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. And having been forgiven much, Mary showed her love by serving and providing for Jesus during his earthly ministry, by being near to the cross when he was crucified, by watching Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus bury the body of Jesus, and by coming to the tomb that early Easter morning. Mary herself was blessed to be the first to see the resurrected Christ. And my question to you, do you love much for the sins that Jesus had freely forgiven you? We all owe a debt that we cannot pay. And some of our debts, yes, they might be higher than others in the sense that there are some people who are, are more wicked and more evil and they've done horrific acts. And yet we all owe a debt that we cannot pay. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As a result of the forgiveness that you have received, well, let's be like a Mary, willing to stay near to Jesus, to serve him that he might reveal himself to us. 
Mary and the disciple whom Jesus loves, verses 26 and 27, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Although all the disciples stumbled because of Jesus, there at the Garden of Gethsemane, they all fled away. And it was what Jesus said in Matthew 26, 31. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. We find that John's nearness to Jesus. And we saw last week that he, he actually went into the courtyard when they had questioned Jesus, the courtyard of the high priest. John was there. Now John is seen at the cross and John's nearness to Jesus allowed him to communicate to John concerning his mother. But we asked the question, why did Jesus commend the task of caring for his mother to John and not his half-brothers? And you heard me correct. I did say brothers and the brothers of Jesus. And Psalm 69.8, we have a clue, it's prophecy. I've become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. Jesus' half-brothers refer to the sons that Joseph and Mary had after Jesus was born. The Bible tells us in Matthew 1.25 that Joseph did not know Mary till she brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. It's just a, a nice way that the Bible tells us that Mary and Joseph had no sexual relations until after Jesus was born. And those in Nazareth had asked, is this not the carpenter? Mark 6, 3, the son of Mary, the brothers are the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here among us. So the Bible not only tells us that he had brothers, half-brothers, and also half-sisters, although the sisters are never named in Scripture. Yet, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his brothers did not believe in him. In John 7, 5, we learned this earlier this year, even his brothers did not believe. Thankfully, we know James and John came to know the truth concerning Jesus, and we have their epistles as proof. Hopefully all his half-brothers and sisters came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But notice that because John stayed near to Jesus, that Jesus was able to commission him with this unique and important task of caring for his mother. And I believe that's just something that we should keep in mind ourselves. Our nearness to Christ makes us available to Christ to be used by him. Staying near to Jesus gives us unique opportunities to serve the Lamb of God. Third, we notice the Lamb and his thirst in verses 28 and 29. You know, I've mentioned before we received communion this morning of the seven cries of the cross. I want to run through them now. And Jesus' first cry regarded the forgiveness to those who crucified him. Luke 23, 34 tells us, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. His second cry concerned the personal salvation of the thief hanging next to him. 
In Luke 23, 42 and 43, the thief said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus responded, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus's third cry, we just looked at it, concerned the care of his mother uh, to the apostle John. And John tells us that from that day forward, he took her into his home. That was John 19, 26 and 27. His fourth cry uh, comes from Matthew 27, 46. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as I mentioned earlier, uh, before we receive communion, uh, this was uh, an emotion, an experience that Jesus had never experienced before, to be separated from his father. The only reason that God separated or turned his eyes, we might say, away from the Lord is because at this time on the cross, the Lord Jesus had our sins upon him and sin separates us from God. Jesus had never known this experience before. And it's something that he was able to say. It's something that we could never say. How could we say to the Lord, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think the Holy Spirit would quickly remind us several reasons why. It's our sins that have separated us from God. But this was something that Jesus had never known because Jesus was without sin. Thankfully, Jesus came that we might be cleansed of our sin. And that we can come to know that fellowship with the Father. And come into fellowship with the Son. The fifth cry pertains to his thirst. And we're looking at that right now in verses 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were fulfilled or accomplished and that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine sitting there and having filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. Before going to Jerusalem, Jesus had told his disciples in Luke 18:31, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and all things that were written by the prophets concerning me will be accomplished. And Jesus, in this fifth statement from the cross, it fulfilled two prophecies, at least we find in Psalm 22:15. it tells us my strength was dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. And the drink that they gave him in Psalm 69, 21, they also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Some responded when they gave Jesus this sour wine in hatred. In Matthew 27, 49, they said, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him the cruelty of those who surrounded Jesus while he hung on the cross. But we find the sixth statement. We'll look at it in a moment more completely. John 1930, it is finished. And then the seventh statement, the seventh cry from the cross, Jesus cried out in Luke 23, 46. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. You know, there's no better place to be than to commit ourselves into the hands of the Father. Where would you rather be for safety? In your Father's hands? But notice that Jesus' fifth cry, 
it came according to the scripture after he knew all things pertaining his death had been accomplished. Only then did he cry out for his own needs, his thirst. It's a great reminder to us that the Lamb of God put our needs before his own when he died upon the cross. The great evangelist, um, preacher Spurgeon at once said, Turn your eyes straightway to the wounds of Jesus. These are the founts of the never-failing consolation, from which, if a man does drink just once, he shall forget his misery and remember his sorrow no more. And Father, I pray that we would be those who would come to the fount of everlasting life, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we would drink in the gift of salvation that has been made available to us through Jesus' death upon the cross, but also through his glorious resurrection from the grave. And so, Father, as we wait upon you now, as we close out in this last song, we pray, Lord, minister to our spirits. We ask, Lord, if there's any need among this congregation today, that they would open their hearts to you this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.